Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League. Cleared off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers. Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area. World-beating big match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scored. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers on TalkSport 2. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly and it's congratulations to Manchester City. And here's a chance for the clinching goal. And it has been taken by Janine Becky to make sure that Manchester City do indeed retain the Women's FA Cup. Gareth Taylor's side lift the 2019-20 FA Cup after a 3-1 win over Everton. And this just reinforces the message, you know, we want to achieve big things, we want to make history. You'll hear from Manchester City's Chloe Kelly, Everton boss Willie Kirk, and we'll be chatting to Bev Priestman on her new appointment as head coach of Canada Women. We'll also dissect the FA's diversity code and shine our spotlight on the Euro qualifiers. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi, I'm Karen Hills from Tottenham Hotspur Women, and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. Lovely to have you with us as ever. And I also have some fantastic guests for you too. Farrah Williams, Reading midfielder and England's record appearance maker. Lovely to have you back in the studio. How's your week been? It's been great and lovely to be back. <laughs> I think I'm getting used to being here now. Good. We like that. Come back all the time. Brilliant. Molly Hudson, Times journalist. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. I'm just about recovered from yesterday, I think. <laughs> So you were at the FA Cup final, which of course is exactly where we're going to start here on Women's Football Weekly. Manchester City 3, Everton 1, no fans, but what a game it was. What did you make of it as a spectacle, Molly? It was incredible. And I think what, you know, I have to say that I was one of the privileged few that were there. And obviously it's hugely, hugely disappointing that there wasn't able to be fans there. It's so surreal as you're walking up Wembley Way and you're seeing all the shoppers in all the retail outlets and then you go into Wembley and there's, you know, 80,000, 90,000 empty seats. It's very bizarre. But it was an incredible spectacle for the women's game for those watching on TV because actually we've seen over the years 
the FA Cup final hasn't always been the most competitive game on the day. Sometimes they've been a little bit one-sided for one reason or another. But actually, it was a really, really tight contest, exciting, loads of chances. But ultimately, Manchester City will deserve winners. What did you make of it, Farah? I mean, it was a spectacle, even watching from home. Yeah, definitely. You know, we want the women's game to, to be competitive to the viewers. And the fact that fans weren't allowed in, it allowed more opportunities for people to watch on TV that probably wouldn't. Um, and as you mentioned there, the game was very competitive, very tight, and, and Everton pushed them all the way. You got the figures, haven't you, Molly, of how many people think, watched? Yeah, I think it was 1.6 million TV viewers. So, you know, definitely, definitely a lot of eyes watching. And, and happily, it was a really good display of the game and, you know, right from the finishing to, to the goalkeeping, which was extraordinary yesterday. Yeah, it seems as if um, Gareth Taylor got his tactics spot on. We'll get to Sandy McKeever's superb performance shortly. Uh, but the substitutions turned the game in the end, Farah. Yeah, definitely, I'd agree. I think, uh, especially Georgia Stanway, I think the way in which Man City are trying to play this season with their, with their number nine coming in into pockets and, and they're playing a, a lot of ball central, I feel that suited them more than Ellen White. Although Man City had a lot of ball in wide areas, they didn't put the ball in the box for Ellen White, which is her strength. So actually that change for me was was a massive difference for Man City and, and helped them, at, along with Jess Park, uh, in, in getting the result in the end, sorry. Yeah, let's hear what head coach Gareth Taylor had to say about those substitutions. The impact they made was great. I thought uh, Jess to show that maturity for someone who's so young in that performance and how she got Everton on the back foot. Um, and she, she did that in, in the other cup competition earlier uh, in the month. So she's a player that's growing and improving and she'll really improve playing ahead of Lucy Bronze next to Sam Mewis and at times Ellen White you know, playing as playing off her as the number nine. So I think what we're trying to do is we're obviously trying to improve. We try to improve the squad as much as we can. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time. But I think it's really building on the foundations that we have already. Um, you know, we've we've been successful previously. We want to try and kick on and, and win more things. Uh, and that's not easy because everyone else is trying to do the same. I, I've really seen the level of uh, quality of teams in the WSL really improved this season. That's Manchester City head coach Gareth Taylor talking about his side's win and his first trophy uh, in charge as well. A uh, fantastic day for him. He said in the post-match press conference it hadn't quite sunk in yet. Uh, really interesting point he makes about uh, the WSL as well, Molly, and we were talking about this earlier on today because it caused a bit of a, a storm on Twitter last night, didn't it, about you know whether or not the WSL now is these top three teams that have dominated for so long in Manchester City, Chelsea, Chelsea and Arsenal or whether there are more players coming into the game and pushing for those top three spots? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting kind of debate as to whether or not a team like Everton getting to the cup final, whether that's enough or do you need to win one? You know, what does it take to actually get in that top three? And I think actually this weekend may well be a, a kind of big display of that because obviously it's Chelsea, Everton. And it's also Arsenal, Manchester United. And they're, they're two chances for Manchester United and Everton, who, who have done incredibly well so far this season, to really test themselves against two of those top three and see how they get on. Because ultimately, that is probably what they're going to be judged upon. You know, you, you can maybe get away with winning the majority of the games against the rest of the teams in the league. And obviously, you've got your Reading and your Birmingham that, that are difficult teams to play against anyway. But then to go that one step further and really challenge that top three, I think it ultimately has to be about results and whether you can do it on the day against those big names. 
it's all very well and good me and you talking about it, Molly, but Farrah Williams actually plays in the league for Reading. Farrah, do you really see a difference this season and do you agree with Molly? Does it have to be somebody winning something and, and you know, actually taking points off these big teams or do you really see more of an even playing field now? I mean, certainly to, to be put up there, I think, you know, winning trophies will put you up there with the top three. But in terms of how the season's started this year, Everton have won five and five. Um, and teams have took points off Man City. I see Man City struggling against the teams such as Reading. You know, we held them to a 1-1 draw, but uh, Brighton, 0-0. So teams that are sitting off Man City, Man- Manchester City is are, are struggling against at the moment. So in terms of taking points off them, they need to find a way to to to, to beat a team that plays with a deep line and play them on the counter-attack. Um, so I see City struggling in the league a little bit. And the likes of Manchester United and, and Ev- uh, Reading and Everton being able to really challenge for that third spot. So I, th- I think Chelsea will win the league. I think Arsenal will, will be up there and, and finish second. So they're the top two, I, I definitely think. But that third spot, I definitely think, is wide open. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, we're going to be speaking to Manchester City's Chloe Kelly um, shortly as well to get her take on the FA Cup. But let's look at it from an Everton point of view. Uh, Willie Kirk, obviously, delighted that his side got to the final in the first place. Really disappointed with defeat, but but looked back on it um, in a positive way. They have given absolutely everything they had in the tank. Uh, very, very proud of them. Obviously, there, there has to be a loser. You, you, you never want to be that loser, but you know, in terms of in terms of what we what we did on the pitch and and, and what we asked of them, they did that. Uh, yeah, immensely proud of the players, the staff, the club, in terms of the support we've had. So, I don't think we could have done much more today, but but that will inspire us to come back. I think I say that if, if we'd won it, it could be, you know, the launch pad to go and achieve great success over the next few years I still think that's the case I think the manner of that defeat the way it's happened what what I got off the players uh, you know it only heightens your trust it only reinforces your beliefs and uh, I still think that, that it can be a launch pad for success now uh, we'll, we'll be back here uh, the players will be determined to that we will keep pushing them to make sure we do that Everton manager Willie Kirk there speaking after the 3-1 defeat to Manchester City in the FA Cup final. Can they use it as a launch pad, Farah? Definitely. I think the performance was you know, fantastic for, from both teams. I think it was very competitive. It shows the level Everton are now at in terms of competing. And, you know, in the 90 minutes, if we look at it like that and, and you look at it as a league, it, it was 1-1. So Everton definitely can take a lot of positives from that. And I'm sure that, as I mentioned before, you know, they're definitely going to be fighting for that top three spot. The fact that it went to um, extra time was mainly down to Sandy McKeever and her performance in the Everton goal. She was absolutely superb. Here's what her manager had to say about her performance. Outstanding. Uh, from start to finish, outstanding. You know, she took knocks. She she did everything she could to, to keep the ball at the back of the net. Sometimes it wasn't pretty. Sometimes it was a, it was a punch or it was a slap at times, I think. There, there was one, one cross that she was at full stretch and... She just had to get something on it, but I thought I thought she was outstanding today, and and very much showed that that she's for me she's England's number one. Molly Hudson is she England's number one for you? I would certainly like to see her get some minutes for England. I think I sort of had to double check yesterday that she hadn't actually got any senior appearances yet, and obviously we've we've seen her in and around squads, but what we maybe haven't seen is the actual fixtures, and you know that's really because of COVID. If it wasn't for that, probably we, we may well have seen her in an England shirt now. I think Ellie Roebuck has been incredible. And I think what's difficult for Sandy is that Ellie hasn't really put a foot wrong. 
She hasn't really put a foot wrong for Manchester City. She hasn't really put a foot wrong when she's when she's played for England. So I think it is a hugely competitive area at the moment. We're very lucky to have such a good young crop of goalkeepers. And, you know, I include Hannah Hampton in that at Birmingham. And obviously, you know, you've still got Carly Telford at Chelsea, who who arguably is, is still right up there. So I think, you know, it, it's a hugely competitive competition, but I would like to see Sandy get some minutes and, and show what she could do for England in the senior team. Yeah, I think, you know, Sandy has been fantastic for the start of this season with Everton. Um, as you mentioned there, the difficulty is in how well Ellie Robot's doing and keeping out Karen Bardsley, who for me, if was fit and was playing, would be England's number one. Um, so it's really difficult. There's some fantastic keepers. I mean, Carly Telford currently isn't playing that many games. M- Mary Earps is playing fantastically well for Man United and is being kept out of the, the squad. So, you know, the future looks bright for England in terms of goalkeeping. The only difficult thing is only one of them can play. I know. It's so, so that's hard. The competition is really hard. So but, tough. But it's exciting. But we'd rather have competition like that than be sitting there going, mm, do we trust anybody to be in goal? I love the fact that we've got some youngsters coming through as well as the experience that we already know about as well. It's really exciting times, That that's for sure. And it was an exciting game. I mean, an FA Cup final that goes to extra time at 1-1 is brilliant. Valerie Govan was fantastic uh, for Everton as well. Sandy McKeever, superb. But ultimately, Ultimately, it was the class and quality of Manchester City that dominated Sam Mewis, obviously, uh, with the opening goal uh, from a Greenwood corner. Uh, Jess Park then came on for Rose Lavelle, made all the difference with Georgia Stanway, who got a goal, and then Janine Becky as well. What a cup final it was. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers, and I'm alongside England's record appearance maker, Farrah Williams and Molly Hudson from The Times. Women's Football Weekly is the only show, don't forget, on national radio dedicated to women's football we're usually here every Monday 6 till 7pm bringing you all you need to know in the game but if you miss any or you want to listen again on our podcast the show is available on the TalkSport app so you can download it today and go to our podcast section Uh, next up Manchester City's Chloe Kelly is with us having helped Everton reach the final but winning it with Manchester City on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 with Faker Rothers, Reading midfielder and World Cup bronze medalist with England, Farrah Williams and Molly Hudson from The Times. Uh, now then, we're talking FA Cup after the final and this season is strange at the best of times but uh, even stranger is that Manchester City forward Chloe Kelly actually played two games for Everton in the FA Cup helping them reach the final but because of the Covid break she then signed for Manchester City and helped them get to the final and then played in the final and then won the final. Uh, she joins us now on Women's Football Weekly. Congratulations, first and foremost, Chloe. What a game that was. Thank you very much. Unbelievable game, strangest of times, but I'm absolutely buzzing to come away with some silverware and uh, really settling into Manchester City now, but um, to get my first uh, bit of silverware, even better. Yeah, absolutely. And what was it like actually getting your hands on that trophy? It was an unbelievable feeling. I think it was just a, a bit of a relief, really, because playing 120 minutes, of course, it was it was tough. And then to hear that final whistle was really a great feeling. So we were all absolutely buzzing. When did you actually find out that you weren't going to be cup-tied and could play for, for Manchester City? And did, did anyone question it? Yeah, I, I was speaking to Gaz, our manager, and I just kept asking him the question, like, am I cut tied? And it was a bit like we didn't really know up until before the Leicester game when we realised uh, a few of the Leicester players had already played in it. And um, he said, he then said that I wasn't cut tied, which I was buzzing about. So, yeah, um, a great feeling to, to get my hands on the FA Cup trophy thought you'd actually scored at one point as well. I know it's actually hypothetical now, but would you have celebrated? Um, you never know in the moment because all the emotions of being at Wembley would have would have took off to two two nil, I think at the time or two one. But yeah, it was it was a great occasion but um Everton I have a lot of respect for so of course I wouldn't have wouldn't have gone too crazy because I I'd have to show my respect to my, my former club. Hi, Chloe. It's Molly from The Times. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Hi, are you OK? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask you, obviously yesterday we saw Sam Mewis got, got the opening goal and then we saw Georgia and Jess combine for the second. And I spoke to Gareth Arthur and he talked about um, what it was like for some of the younger players to kind of learn from, from the US stars that have come over. What, is that, what has that been like for you? Yeah, it's unbelievable to to be learning from these um, top players and uh, the US stars, but also the English players that we have already as well. It's it's great to be learning from World Cup winners and just taking in everything. That's what I want to do at the minute. I want to learn from all these players and add a little bit of what they've got into my game. And um, Sam scoring the goal yesterday, and she's been great for us so far this season and so long it may continue. And Faye mentioned there that obviously you've got that Everton connection. Someone you, I think, was quite close to when you were there was Sandy McKeever. Um, can you tell us a little bit about her? Because she, for a long time, it looked as though she might maybe stop you from, from winning the, the Cup yesterday. She, she put in such a good performance. Yeah, Sandy's a great girl, a good friend of mine. I actually lived with her when I was at Everton, so um, we we were very close, and I was I was really happy for her. She had a great game, and 
a close friend of mine, so I was buzzing for her, but obviously we needed to get that goal, so um, she was frustrating me a little bit in the game, but yeah, she she done a great job, but we found a way to, to break them down in the end, which is we just needed to keep that what we were doing, and we knew it would come at one stage. What's she like to live with? Yeah, she's a great girl. I get on really well with her. Um, we didn't we didn't really um, we like we just got on really well. To be fair, like we'd we'd just chill together, and outside of football, we get on really well, which is a, a good thing to have when you when you're on the pitch. If you're getting on better on the pitch, so off the pitch. So yeah, um, we're quite we're very good friends actually. So I keep in touch with her now still since I've since I've left. But um, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. Um, Everton manager Willie Kirk is convinced she should be England's number one. There's so many quality keepers competing for that place, isn't there? And, uh, uh, you know, one of your own as well, Ellie Roebuck, who ha- also had a decent game. Yeah, they're both top keepers, Sandy and Roebuck, um, very good keepers. And that challenge for them both is, is great to have. I feel like um, they're both pushing each other to get to, to great levels. So, um I feel like it's bringing the best out in both of them and that's a great thing for, for women's football. What did you do to celebrate last night with everyone? Yeah, we were all together and we, we had a, a nice uh, meal together and we just we just celebrated how we, how we should and uh, it was nice to be with the girls. Just finally, because I know you've got to rush off somewhere, but, you know, it's a team in transition, perhaps, and Gareth Taylor spoke about what this could do for, for the rest of your season, about it being a, a springboard. And certainly when you see the quality that came off the bench and eventually uh, helped you win the game yesterday, that makes an enormous difference, doesn't it? What can this Manchester City team go on and do this season? Yeah, I believe we can achieve big things. Uh, we've got another FA Cup to compete for and a chance to really create history and win in two FA Cups in one season. But I do believe this will push us on um, to hit the ground running now for the rest of the season. And we really want to push on in the in the league as well. So I feel like this is really a stepping stone for us to, to get where we want to be now. Lovely to chat to you, Chloe. Congratulations again. And hopefully we'll speak to you soon on Women's Football Weekly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Chloe Kelly there, Manchester City, forward on winning the FA Cup yesterday. She speaks really well, Farah, doesn't she? Uh, It's Farah Williams and Molly Hudson uh, with you on Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Talks really well, um, but you're still not happy with her playing for both teams in this this season. Yeah, I mean, I just thought if you played for one team in that cup in the same season, then you're cup-tied. I understand... You know, with, with with all of what's going on, uh, what's happened, and as she mentioned in that, which I, I didn't realise, they played Leicester in the semi-final, and contracts ran out in June. So I know a lot of our players from Reading had signed for for Leicester um, after their contract ran out. So I guess Leicester mightn't have had a team to field if they weren't allowed to play their new players that had played in it uh, early on in the season. So I understand it all. It's just I would emotionally for for her you know having done so well with Everton um, to then play against them I'd have found that difficult yeah it's tough it shows her character though doesn't it Molly yeah it's a, it was it is a really situa- a really odd situation and you know as far as said I was at that city Leicester game and if anything Leicester were frustrated that they could only play six of their 13 new signings I think it was in the end um, so it is a bizarre circumstance and I think in the end just being able to include six new faces in your squad was probably kind of a fair medium. You had, you know, the majority of teams had most of the players that started the competition. Um, but for Chloe Kelly, I think 
it was another really impressive game for her in a Manchester City shirt. Yes, she didn't get on the score sheet, but I genuinely think every time I've watched her for them this season, she's played really well. And I think of, of all the signings up there with Sam Lewis, she's been probably been the best. Yeah, listen, it's not the first time we've had a strange situation in women's football, is it? Then perhaps needs to be some consistency sometimes. And of course, the 1920 FA Cup season ends when the 2021 Vitality Women's FA Cup had already started in September, which is weird enough. And Sunday saw the third qualifying round. Uh, so we're into the first round proper now with matches due to be played on the 15th of November. Well done, by the way, to Stourbridge, who made the first round proper for the first time in their history after a 3-0 win over Crusaders. But I had an interesting question come through on Twitter earlier on from Nag, who asked whether or not the Women's FA Cup is deemed to be elite sport from round one like the men's is and therefore whether the clubs from tier three downwards who qualified for the first round proper can actually compete in it now do either of you know the question the the answer to the question i definitely don't (laughs) molly no none the wiser over here (laughs) well molly you've actually got a statement although it doesn't really um explain anything or answer any of our questions does it no, this, this statement was after the draw for the first round proper, which was done today. And it reads that the FA remain in dialogue with the UK government in relation to women's non-elite football in England and will release the fixture dates for the Vitality Women's FA Cup first and second round proper in due course. In due course. So that's going to have to be, as I said, in the next two weeks, isn't it? I mean, that sounds to me as if the FA don't really know either at the moment. Lauren uh, Harir also asked on Twitter, with the majority of WSL and championship teams based in the South and in London, Durham the only team, you know, in in the northeast of England, for example, um, what are the stoppages in National League and below going to do for women's football opportunities up in the northeast? Visibility and player pathways and things like that. I mean, it's it's a really interesting question, Farah. Yeah, it is, and it's really difficult right now. Um, even you know, with the RTCs, we're still trying to find out whether they can go ahead as they're classed as grassroots. So, yeah, we're in difficult times at the minute, and and as you mentioned, only one team being up there having that visibility is difficult. Um, I don't know where we go from here, in, especially in the next four weeks, in terms of that. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough, Molly. I think it's really difficult because we're at a stage when nobody really knows what you know the the coming months might look like, and I think that sort of uncertainty is what what makes everything so difficult. And you know, we, we talk about the FA Cup there. I mean, the FA probably don't know, the government don't probably quite know yet. So I think it just sort of leaves everyone else in a in a kind of strange limbo, doesn't it? Anyone that's involved at, at any kind of grassroots level, I think. They're all probably expecting the worst at the moment, expecting the fact they aren't going to be able to play. I saw saw lots of my friends that are involved in grassroots football, you know, at the weekend saying that this is going to be their last game for a little while. So I think it's just, it is really disappointing, but ultimately we've just got to try and keep everyone as safe as we can. Yeah, very, very, very well said there, Molly Hudson from The Times and Farrah Williams, of course, from England and Reading alongside me, Faker Others, on Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app, subscribing to our podcast by searching TalkSport Women's Football Weekly. Uh, Coming up, we're going to chat to former Lionesses assistant Bev Priestman on her new appointment. 
You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Rothers, alongside England's most cap player of all time, Farrah Williams and Molly Hudson from The Times. Now then, the FA Diversity Code was launched last week. It's voluntary with clubs required to meet a recruitment diversity target of 15% in new executive jobs and 25% in coaching roles. It's aimed at tackling inequality. Uh, the FA wants to increase the number of female coaches in women's football as well. So clubs from the Premier League, the EFL, the WSL and the Women's Championship have signed up. Uh, This is how it's going to work or what they want. 15% of new executive appointments will be from a BAME background with 30% female. 25% of new coaching appointments will be BAME and 10% of senior coaching appointments. 50% of new coaching appointments at women's football clubs will be female, with 15% BAME. And shortlists for interview will have at least one male and one female BAME candidate, provided applicants meet the job specifications uh, to apply. Uh, Now then, lots good about this. But one thing that jumped out to all of us is that there was nothing about helping female coaches into the men's game, Farah. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic that the FA have recognised more needs to be done. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's interesting where you, you look at these percentages in, in how they're they're trying to open jobs up um, and help female coaches in, in the game, but not female coaches within the men's game, whether that be academies or, or the, the professional game. Molly, what was your thought when it was released? I think, you know, it is what you say there, whereas it, it's a shortlist for interview will have to We'll have at least one male and one female BAME candidate provided applicants meet the job specifications. For me, yes, it's important they meet the job specifications, but it's important that we help attract enough women into the game to start with that see this pathway to want to apply and to want to have the experience in order to meet the specifications, if that makes sense. Because, you know, I think this is great and on paper particularly for the women's game 50% of new coaching appointments will be female with 15% BAME when I first read that I was like wow that's quite a big percentage but then when you look through the managers seven of the 12 are female managers in the WSL anyway there's four men and obviously the the dual um, coaching setup at Spurs so I don't think that that will be a huge jump in terms of the women's game. But I think it's just important that we have the structure and the pathway to help enough women and people from BAME backgrounds to get into the game and, and to be able to feel as though they can apply for these positions because there's there's a big difference between saying we want these people um, but actually helping them get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And, and there is some help there, Farah, isn't there? But, you know, it, and it is going to take time. Yeah, most definitely it will take time. It, I, I think it, it's the same, you know, in terms of the media and, and women being seen to do that and, and speak about the male game. I think it will take for one female coach to, to just break that. I think, you know, we've certainly got some fantastic female coaches, the likes of Emma Hayes and Hope Powell, along with the experience that they have and more than capable of going to, to manage within the men's game. And, you know, as you mentioned before, are they comfortable and are they confident enough to go and apply for these jobs? I'm not sure. Do they feel there's a platform there for them to do that? Well, I mean, it's something that Emma Hayes has spoken about before, isn't it? I think it's something that Emma Hayes, I think the next part of her coaching career, I think that's something that she wants to do. I think she wants to take that challenge on and really test herself, you know, within the men's game. Um, 
hopefully that opportunity for her comes along at some point. I mean, we don't want to get rid of all the best female coaches in our game because we want to progress our game. And for me, she's one of the best in the game. Um, but in terms of her pathway and where she wants to go and, 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 and things that she's probably set out, um, I know being in the men's game is probably one of those that she would like to achieve. Mm, listen, if only we could ask the opinion of a top women's football coach. <laughs> oh, we can. <laughs> so big announcement this week with the Lionesses former assistant manager Bev Priestman announced as, as the new head coach of Canada women's national team. And we're chuffed to bits to have her with us on Women's Football Weekly. Evening, Bev. Hi, guys. How are we? We're very good, thank you. And actually, the last time you were on, Farrah Williams was in the studio. She's stalking me, I think. <laughs> uh, so before we get to, to this fantastic appointment for you, congratulations, by the way. Um, we've got a media group within the England uh, set up with the, all, all, the, all the journalists and, and all the messages were brilliant news and congratulations. I think everyone's really chuffed for you. But at the minute, we're just talking about the um, FA's new diversity code that launched last week and, and the fact that... That there doesn't seem to be anything particular uh, pointed in the direction of getting female coaches into the men's game. I wondered what your opinion was on that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I just listened to you then talking about the likes of an Emma Hayes. I, I think it's going to take someone of maybe the character of Emma Hayes to go and do that. I think I can see it in the next sort of five years that that's going to happen. Um, and, and, and it'll take someone going into the men's game and doing really well, I think, for it to become a tangible pathway for female coaches. I think right now, obviously, it's, it's not happened um, at a high-profile level. So I definitely think it's, it's something we'll see, and I think it'll take someone like that to go and do it. Obviously, the FA, your former employers, but they are now former employers, so you can talk about this diversity code a, a little bit more. Um, you, you joined on the 1st of November, technically, uh, for um, the Canada job. Um, but, but do you think this is going to work? I mean, it, it looks on paper like a, a really good effort, but, but can it actually be put into practice? Yeah, you know, I think it's a really positive step, step I think, to have a step and a plan and you know, I've seen some of the details of it. I, I do think it's a really positive step. Um, I think something like this is needed and the action that comes with it's probably more important. And from seeing that, there is there is some changes, there, there is placements, etc. So I, I think it's a really positive step. So what is also a very positive step is you're now been appointed head coach of the Canadian women's national team, which is absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, tell us how this came about in the first place. Obviously, you have a relationship with Canada already. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I obviously know the players, know the staff, have a rich history there and have worked with the youth teams and with the, the senior team at the Home World Cup and, and the Olympics. So, you know, I think um, how it came about, you know, eventually I've had to go through, obviously, a stringent interview process. But, you know, when I was on this show not so long ago, um, I talked about wanting to be number one. And, and I think, you know, it feels like a second home in some ways. So I think it was, um, for me, the, the prospect of being a number one with pressure, scrutiny, you know, two, two Olympic Games, World Cup, um, married with a, a country that, you know, I fell in love with. Um, it's not my home country, but it's probably my second home. So you put them two things together and, and I'm really excited. Yeah, you should be really excited as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that, Bev, um, what you've done for our game, firstly, I'd, I'd like to personally say thank you for what you've done for our national team um, under Phil Neville. But yeah, I guess, as you mentioned there, was it the opportunity too big to turn down um, becoming a number one of a, na a national team? Yeah, absolutely. I think... 
again, I think probably only in the last sort of four or five days, I've realised the scope of it and, you know, the interest and, and just speaking to some of the players, etc. I think it's probably only hit me as to how big the, the opportunity is. And, you know, I'll grab it with, with both hands, that's for sure. But absolutely, I think it, it's where I want to be. The, the pressure, the big, big events, tournaments, that's what I've been exposed to. And I think, you know, I've had a, a really good seat in the front seat of a car in many ways working with John working with Phil I've, I've seen you know the highs and lows of, of both really and you take bits from everyone and, and you try and you know I feel like I've been around enough now to, to make it my own so yeah really excited Hi Bev it's Molly from the Times congratulations again Thanks Molly appreciate it um, just looking at the FIFA World Rankings and Canada are joint eighth, only two places behind England. And I've certainly, and I think Faye has too, been seen over the past few years, some really good clashes between England and Canada. What what have you made of them kind of like while you've been with England, I suppose? And, and how excited are you to, to put your own stamp on, on their team? Yeah, you're right, Molly. It's, it's been, you know, I was part of that sort of home World Cup that lost to England. Um, um, so, yeah, I think always been a great a clash. And I think what Canada sort of brought to the table in them clashes is probably like their physical presence. They're a physical team. Um, you know, they have some great youth players coming through with a blend of great experience. You know, Christine Sinclair as, as an example. So some, some great players. Um, I'm, I'm praying that I don't get Great Britain um, <laughs> until the final of the Olympic Games. But I think, um, yeah, I- I'm really excited. Can you imagine going up against, if it does end up being Phil Neville leading Team GB at uh, the now 2021 Tokyo Olympics, can you imagine that, a final Team GB <laughs> versus Canada, Bev Priestman versus Phil Neville? Yeah, I mean, it has crossed my mind. I've got to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've obviously stay in touch with Phil, get on really well with him. Um, yeah, I, I've said to him, if that happens, we've just got to have some banter on the sidelines to get through that moment. So, um, yeah, listen, it'd be it'd be great to see um, the girls for, from England, Great Britain, being in that final. I think they deserve it. I think the staff deserve it. Um, and, and hopefully it's against Canada. Do you, do you realistically think Canada can go on and win a tournament, Bev? Because, you know, we, you mentioned earlier on how exciting the women's um, international schedule is. There's so many tournaments coming up. Is it kind of a process for you to kind of lead up to, to the World Cup? Or do you think that they have the potential to do something maybe even before that? Yeah, I think the way I'm sort of approaching it is the next nine months is purely about, like, how can you, we've got two back-to-back bronze medals at Canada, how can we change the colour of the medal in that nine-month period? So really like crystal clear in that first nine months with then the, the view to build, I think there's a, there's a real blend of young players and like experienced players with, with great caps and great history in the women's game. So I think blending those two to try and win and make that the first goal um, to then look beyond and say, how do we build to 2023, 2024? To, to bring success. So absolutely, I think, you know, on the day and, and as, you, as we've seen in the summer, it's, you know, in, in big moments, semi-finals, finals, it, it's very much on the day. But I do think it's got a great blend there. You've got girls now from Canada playing in, in some of the top leagues in the world, notably some of them in the WSL. So I think that the more that Canada can do that without a, a, its own domestic league, I think having them in the best environments with the best players is only going to help them. 
listen, we wish you the absolute best of luck, Bev, and we, we'll catch up with you throughout uh, the next nine months or so on Women's Football Weekly to see how you're getting on. And fingers crossed, as you say, you won bronze in the 2016 Rio um, Olympics uh, with Canada. Fingers crossed you can go one or maybe two better, although I'm not going to say two better because I want to <laughs> see Team GB have that gold medal. But lovely talking to you as always. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Bev Priestman there, Canada women's uh, national team head coach, of course, former assistant to Phil Neville with the Lionesses as well. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others, alongside World Cup bronze medalist Farrah Williams, Molly Hudson from The Times. And don't forget, if you miss any of the show, you can find our podcast by downloading the TalkSport app and searching for Women's Football Weekly. Uh, next, we're shining our spotlight on the Euro 2022 qualifiers. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers and keeping you company alongside me, Molly Hudson from The Times and England's record appearance maker, Farrah Williams. Now, every week this season, we're picking a person, a club, organisation or an event uh, from the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on. But we want you to come up with some suggestions of whose story you'd like to hear. Is there maybe a player, a coach, a team, a tournament, past or present? that you'd like to know a little bit more about. If so, tweet us at TalkSport2 or at Faker Others, or you can email on womensfootballweekly at talksport.co.uk with your suggestions and we'll see what we can do. Now, this week, we're shining our spotlight on the Euro qualifiers. So let's hear from TalkSport's Alex Biddle on how the home nations have been getting on in their bid to reach the UEFA Women's European Championship in 2022. Netherlands champions, the new queens of Europe. UEFA Women's Euro qualifying is in progress, with a record 47 teams competing for 15 places, alongside England, who are hosting the tournament. And this is how it works. Duggan with a flick on! Tony Duggan made it six, and England will have the all-time record victory in a match in the final of the Women's Euro. The nine group winners and three best runners-up will qualify and the other six runners-up will play off in April for the remaining three places. There are ten spots left to fill with Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Germany and the Netherlands, the current holders, all winning their groups to qualify. Here's Miedemar. She's already scored once today. Can she seal the deal? Yes, she can! And here's how the home nations are getting on. Wales and Northern Ireland are together in Group C, with the Welsh in second place, hoping to claim a runners-up spot. They're three points behind the Northern Irish, who have a game in hand and will be guaranteed a playoff spot if they beat Belarus and the Faroe Islands in their remaining two home qualifiers at the end of November. Scotland are top seeds in Group E, but defeat to Finland saw them lose their 100% record and there's now no room for error as they look to qualify as group winners. The Republic of Ireland, meanwhile, could have qualified as runners-up in Group I had they beaten the Ukraine, but a narrow defeat means Ukraine are just a point behind them with one game left to play. Plenty of blue shirts forward in this attack. Lovely ball through, Jody Taylor to seal it. And surely that is that. So this seems to be quite a confusing qualification tournament. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? There's so many teams, more than ever. Um, there's an unequal amount of teams in each group as well, which makes it even more confusing. Uh, but, you know, as Alex was saying there, we have had teams already qualify. The home nations, though, let, let's start with Wales, shall we? Because uh, Wales manager Jane Ludlow said the dressing room was solemn and quiet after their 1-0 defeat against Norway at the Cardiff City 
stadium. It took qualification out of their hands, Molly. And, um, you know, what are they going to have to do in order to qualify? Well, as as Jane Dudlow said, it, it is out of their hands now because Northern Ireland are, are three points behind them. They've played a game less. So if, if they win all of their remaining games, then they will go above Wales. The confusion, obviously, for, for all of all of the home nations teams is that because they're not going to be group winners, they're relying on getting that second place spot and, and being one of the better second place teams. So as ever, it's about getting as many points as you can, but that's a lot easier said than done. I think particularly with Wales, we've, we've seen a lot of their players have, have done so well in the Women's Super League and it's it's been a kind of similar story for Scotland. So on paper, you would probably have backed Wales to be able to progress out of that group, but you know it can be really difficult and particularly for international players they've they've been a really long period without being with their teams because of covid um so i think it's just been a really strange qualifying kind of campaign altogether yeah because a number of games have had to be postponed as well for exactly that reason which then makes it really difficult but northern ireland uh, rachel furness um scored um, in that away win over Belarus, which was great for them, but it does kind of give them both an opportunity because these this second playoff, if you like, is going to be held in April. Then they still have almost like a, a backup option, Farah. Yeah, definitely. I think you know Northern Ireland certainly showed that fighting spirit. You know, having gone down to ten players in that game, you know, to get the win. But um, you know, we've got a lot of Wales players within our squad at Reading. You know, and they were so so disappointed with the result against Norway you know, having done so well for so long to keep it at nil-nil, um, to concede a goal like they did. Um, I just I just feel watching that, that Wales game, I feel like that in both of the games they played against Norway, they could have been a bit more um, front-footed. I think once they went a goal down in both of the fixtures, they showed actually the quality they actually have within their team. Maybe they need a little bit more trust in the players they got. As you mentioned, they're in, all of their players are in WSL 1 or 2, so they have great quality. But yeah, Northern Ireland, for me, look as if they might just... Uh, pinch it over um, Wells. Yeah, and Scotland had had a 100% record as well before that defeat to, to Finland, Molly. They're going to be really kicking themselves, aren't they? Yeah, again, it's it's a difficult one, but I suppose the, the benefit that S- Scotland have is that they are, have still to play both Finland and Portugal, who are the teams above them. So in that respect, they know that it is still in their own hands. Obviously, this camp, Scotland were missing... Kim Little through injury, which which is a huge disappointment because we've seen for so many years in the Women's Super League what an extraordinary cap talent that Kim is. Um, and hopefully they will now be able to to go on and play those games and knowing that they have the ability to, to go on and qualify, hopefully that will push them onto that, you know, little extra percentage because I don't think on paper asking them to beat Finland or Portugal is, you know, it's not an impossible task. So I think they will still take some confidence from that, that they're still they're still in the mix, at least. Yeah, and they've got a really good team, Scotland, as well. You would expect them to qualify. Yeah, I mean, going into the qualifiers, the group they were put in, yeah, you definitely would have imagined they come out of that group. Um, as you mentioned there, though, Kim's so vital to that to that team. And, and when she's not there, they do, you know, ten, not I wouldn't say struggle, but it's a lot more difficult with, with class players. Like, but Lisa Evans as well, being unavailable for injury, I think she's a big player for them as well. So I think we forget that, that, you know, two big players in, in Scotland's team when they're not there makes a massive difference. Um, hopefully they're back, 
you know, in a month's time for their for their final two qualifiers. Republic of Ireland, though, have left it all to do for themselves. They've just got the one game left, and it just happens to be against Germany after it looked like they'd secured that second spot as well. So frustrating for them. I think they'll be massively disappointed with that, especially the goal in which they conceded, you know, an error, whether we, whether we say it's the defender or the goalie. Um, as a whole, they only needed a draw in that game to, to pretty much see themselves in in that second spot. So I think they'll be disappointed that with that result and, and they've left themselves, you know, a huge task against Germany. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them, Molly. Yeah, it's difficult. I think the, the benefit of, of Republic of Ireland, again, is the fact that they have, you know, they've already got 13 points on the board. So that puts them in a good place compared to, to Wales or Scotland in terms of getting that better runner-up position instead of if they can manage to get the second, they can go straight in rather than having to go through the playoffs. But, you know, again, right behind them is Ukraine and they're only one point behind them. So the pressure's really on to, to get something out of that next game. Yeah, and so those games are going to be played end of November, beginning of December. So we'll keep fingers crossed for all the home nations. It would be fantastic if all of them could qualify, bearing in mind the support if fans are back in uh, by then, which you'd hope by 2022 they would be, um, that it would be fantastic to to have all five home nations uh, playing here in England. It would be great. Uh, let's finish on England, shall we? Because, uh, Molly Hudson, you have an update on uh, Frank Kirby after she picked up that nasty-looking injury in England's training camp, the 11 versus 11. Yes, it's not a particularly good injury update, unfortunately, which is just a bit depressing, really, for Frank Kirby and for everyone that's watched her. Being so impressive at the start of this season and for so long, obviously, she was out um, and it was just disappointing for the Women's Super League to miss a player like Fran because she's such an incredible player when she's fully fit. Obviously, she sustained that injury with England. And um, Emma Hayes has provided an update and it's an ankle injury. And to quote Emma Hayes, she said she'll be out for weeks. I don't know how many, so I'm not going to put a number on it, but hopefully it won't be too long. That's absolutely gutting, Farrah Williams, because she's just been superb this season. And really, after that long layoff, thought we were getting the old Fran Kirby back again. Yeah, I'm gutted for Fran. I think, as you mentioned there, we started to see the best of Fran again and you know, it's disappointing for her and for our national team that, you know, now it looks like she might be sidelined for a while. The the only positive Fran can take is she's been there before, she knows how to deal with it and she's mentally tough enough to get through this and, you know, hopefully she can get back from this injury um, as soon as possible and we wish her well. Yeah, she's a friend of the show here on Women's Football Weekly. We very much wish her well and hope to see her back on the pitch very, very soon. Listen, it has been an absolute pleasure as always. Farrah Williams, I hope you'll be coming back in. We obviously have to get Bev Priestman back on the phone. <laughs> you do need a job here. That's it. Can be it. regular, it's the three of us. Next, please. That would be wonderful. It would be fantastic. Molly Hudson, always a pleasure. Thank you. I hopefully see you in the office soon. Yes, I look forward to it. Molly's actually not in the office today because we're only allowed three people in the studio at the moment. And so Molly can't be with us, which is absolutely gutting. So we've been using WhatsApp as our uh, modes of communication for when to jump in for questions. So well done, WhatsApp, for uh, letting us function in COVID times. Uh, Pleasure to have all of you with us as well. Thanks to Farrah Williams, Molly Hudson, Bev Priestman and Chloe Kelly. Uh, Next week, we're going to be discussing the WSL action with Reading and Wales 
Wales midfielder Jess Fishlock. You can tell her all about us, Farah. Be nice, please. I will. Uh, any questions for us during the week, you can email us at womensfootballweekly at talksport.co.uk. Tweet us at TalkSport2 or at Faker Others. And as ever, if you miss any of the show or you want to listen back to any of our lockdown specials, perhaps, you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the TalkSport app. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.